0: And you guys can go ahead and have a seat. If you're here for the first time with us, uh, know that we are so glad that you're here. We don't think it's an accident that you're with us today. Um, today we're going to be jumping right into our text on the back half of John 14. Um, and just to give you a heads up, this is a more difficult passage to understand. It's one of those passages um, that you read a couple times and think, okay, what, what did that just say? Um, And so today is going to be a little bit more teaching heavy, um, but I do think it will be really good and helpful for us. And a few things about verses 15 to 31 in in John 14. First, I just want to remind you of the setting. Um, So we're at the end of Jesus' three-year ministry. You know, all the disciples are having uh, dinner with Jesus the night before his death, and Jesus is beginning to teach his disciples about what a life following Jesus will look like after his death. And so far, Jesus has talked about love and our future hope of heaven and prayer and how uh, we will do greater works than Jesus did, which we talked about last week. But one of those things that we talked about that is a greater work is that the presence of God can now enter into and inside of a person through the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk more about today. Today, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. But I also want to mention... Um, that the way in which Jesus teaches the disciples about the Holy Spirit, it's not uh, linear in thinking. Like it's more circular in thinking, which is why this may seem a little bit more confusing. And I wanted to bring this up because we'll start to see this more over the next few weeks. You know, Jesus teaches in John 14 what he will illustrate in John 15 that we'll continue to look at next week. And so Jesus continues to circle around the same ideas uh, while explaining them more fully as he goes. And you know, in our Western minds, we've been trained to think linearly in straight lines, uh, to where things kind of build on each other as a progression, staying in one idea until it's complete. But Jesus didn't always teach that way. His, His teachings, they were more circular in nature, which means he would teach a basic principle And then move on to another basic idea, and then another, and then showing how they all kind of connect with each other, making a circle. Showing the holistic nature of how it all connects. And then gradually making these circles bigger, and we'll see this kind of play out today. For example, you know, Jesus just talked about uh, love back in chapter 13, and then he moves on to heaven, and then future hope, and prayer, uh, and our works, Uh, And then as he continues through this one teaching that we're looking at all summer long, we'll see him continue to make these circles to show how everything connects to each other, making um, the whole circle bigger. And so maybe if you're familiar with Mr. Miyagi from the Karate Kid, uh, maybe this will help make sense, okay? Because Daniel, the Karate Kid, he wants to learn how to fight. And he goes to Mr. Miyagi, and Mr. Miyagi agrees, and he takes him to a bonsai plant. And he has him wax his cars, and he uh, has him paint the fence. And Daniel's like, wait a second, I thought you were going to teach me how to fight. And there's this moment in the movie where Daniel realizes everything he was doing was building the foundation for karate. Like the motions of waxing a car and painting a fence are the basic defensive motions for karate. and Where the bonsai plant was teaching the value of patience and self-control in karate. And this is what Jesus is doing with the disciples. He's progressively showing them how everything is connected in the Christian life. Like the Christian life, it's not linear and compartmentalized, but it's more holistic and circular. It's all connected. And what has happened in our Western way of thinking is that we have compartmentalized the Christian life into things like attending Bible studies and church services and doing service projects and serving, which we do here. And these are all good things. yet other parts of our life like maybe how we speak or how we use our resources or how we treat our family and friends, they're often left unaffected and unchanged. And I want to address this way of thinking because when we read our text today, I think you'll notice that it seems just kind of all over the place. And yes, it's about the Holy Spirit, but it's not just that. We'll see a lot of things mentioned like love and obedience in the word and the world and peace and teaching, seeing how everything's all connected, how the entire Christian life, it just can't be kind of siloed out. And there are several different things uh, mentioned, but there are two congruent themes that run parallel with each other, that uh, they often aren't connected when we teach about them. You know, most teachings on this text um, there is either on one isolated verse or just one of the two teams. It's t- themes, typically one talking about the Holy Spirit. And the two running themes are the Holy Spirit and an obedience that comes out of a love for God. I mean, just look at our first verse, verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's a great verse on obedience that comes out of a love for God. So if we love God, we will obey God. We'll obey his commandments. We'll obey his words. But then look what Jesus says right after that in verse 16. He then kind of switches this theme on us. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And so Jesus has, has now moved to teaching them about the Holy Spirit. And he's going to stay there for several verses. And then later come back to that love and obedience theme. And this is that circular um, teaching that I was talking about. He's teaching on something and then kind of moving around the circle to the next idea, but he's doing it in a more holistic thought. Okay, so I know this is going to seem silly, but just hang with me, okay? I think this will help make all of this uh, make sense. Okay, so I want you to think of today um, like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, okay? Um, These are just the type of illustrations I come up with the dad of three small kids. We have a lot of PB&Js in our house. But we're going to look at two different ideas that seem to be totally different, like peanut butter and jelly. But when they come together, they make a masterpiece, okay? And those two ideas, again, are the Holy Spirit and then also obedience that comes from love. So we're going to talk about both things separately today. Uh, and like I said, these two ideas, they're often taught separately, but we want to bring them together and make the peanut butter and jelly sandwich so I'm going to go ahead and show you our main idea, kind of where we're going, that pulls them all together, which is our love for Jesus ignites the Spirit's work in our life. So that's where we're going, but we've got to do some work to get there. So I'm hoping by the end of our time, this is what you'll see. And we're going to read our entire text in just a second. But I want to just point out that Jesus in our text today is speaking into the future about the coming of the Holy Spirit. But he's doing it in the context of the disciples' Fear and worry. So the disciples are pretty worried and they're troubled because uh, they know things are kind of crazy right now for them. You know, up this point, Jesus has been uh, with them, walking beside them. He's been teaching them, doing miracles. He's left, they've left their jobs and began following him. So they've totally altered their life to follow Jesus. And at this time, uh, at the time of this meal that they're having with Jesus in his ministry, everybody is trying to capture Jesus. And the disciples are wondering, like, are we even physically safe? Maybe maybe wondering, are we going to get captured and arrested, uh, and now you're telling us that you're going to leave us? So fear and worry, they were very real and close to the disciples. And so now Jesus is saying this thing called the Holy Spirit is coming. But what Jesus is teaching them about the Holy Spirit, as we'll see, it's done to comfort them. And it's said to put their hearts at ease. So this, whole, this teaching on the Holy Spirit was taught, not simply to just tell them about the Holy Spirit, but for the exact purpose of providing peace. So let me just say this. If you're a follower of Jesus today, and your heart is troubled, my hope is that as we talk about the Holy Spirit, you'll find comfort today, knowing that God is with us. Yes, this is a bit of a complicated passage, but it's also very informative and also very hopeful. So that said, let's go ahead and read our entire text, uh, verses 15 to 31. This is what it says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does uh, not love me does not keep my words, And and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Again, there's a lot that's said here. But Jesus, he's circling around uh, these, he's circling, he's circling these two ideas, these several different themes. But we're going to put everything in two ga- categories with these two running themes for today. What, number one, the Holy Spirit, and number two, love and obedience. Now, like I said, we're going to put them together um, like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and we're going to see how they all work together. But first, we're going to take them apart individually um, as two separate ideas. And so let's get to our first idea, number one, the Holy Spirit. Again, our text today, it's rich with teaching on the Spirit. It's showing us who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does. But again, the hope is that this won't simply be a lecture about the Spirit, but that this will bring comfort to troubled and weary souls. But I say that while knowing this will be uh, more teaching heavy. And so try to hang with me. I've got five sub points from our text that I want us to see about the Holy Spirit. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit, I think we intellectually know that the Holy Spirit is essential to the Christian life, while at the same time, it's often the most neglected person of the Trinity. You know, it's one of the harder things in the Christian life to grasp because you can't visibly see it, yet we uh, know that it's alive and around us. It's kind of like the wind. We can see it, we can't see it, but we can only see its effects. And so who is the Holy Spirit? This is what we're seeking to answer in the first point. Who is the Holy Spirit? Look again, look at verse 16 of John 14. Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So we saw last week that Jesus will leave them and return to heaven with God. But as, as we just read in verse 16, he told them he would send another helper to be with us forever. Which that description is really helpful in learning who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. Because the first name we see for the Holy Spirit here is Helper. Leading us to our first two subpoints: 1A, the Holy Spirit is our helper. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit helps us. But we also see in that exact same verse that the Holy Spirit is with us. The Spirit is with us forever, it says. And when the disciples were troubled and worried, Jesus gave them this promise that he would send them another helper. They knew how Jesus helped them and Jesus just told them in their fear that he would send them someone like him that would also help them. But he also said that this helper would be with him forever. Christian, this is really good news for us. Because we're not only not alone, but God is also active and engaged in our life. God is not not present and not engaged. No, he is with us and he helps us. So I want you to think with me here for a second. Because if we're honest, we'd be tempted to think that the person of Jesus being with us, beside us, at all times, like the very person that we can physically see, we may think that that may be better, just being able to talk with him and see his face, and like being able to physically follow him, like the disciples were able to do, but that's just not the case. Jesus actually says later in John 16, 7, that it's better that he left the earth Because if he did not leave, that the helper would not have come. There's a a great book on this entire concept called Jesus continued. The spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. Because we have an active, we have an active and engaged God that is with us and helps us at all times. Because just think about this. Jesus was God in the form of a person. But because of his humanity being a physical person, he was limited to a single time and place. So Jesus, as a human, was not at all places at all times because in his humanity, as a, as a person, he was confined to a specific geographic location. And so hear me on this. Jesus was limited not because he was God, but because he was human. Where the Holy Spirit, the new helper, our helper, is not limited by humanity. But rather, the Holy Spirit transcends time and space and is with us always and forever, which is so comforting Because the Holy Spirit can be with me right now as I speak, working through me, and also be with other pastors right now that are also preaching all over the city and all over the world. And also with each of you as you listen, helping you understand and process these kind of complex ideas. Because God is with us and he's helping us. And something just to point out here, just seeing the Holy Spirit as a helper Um, that is given to us, it should remind us that we need help. Like God would not have given us the helper of the Holy Spirit if we didn't need help and direction and guidance and counsel. And what we know about God throughout the Bible is that God's greatest works are often done through weak and needy people that need a helper. Listen, okay? The Holy Spirit works best in our life when we are utterly dependent on the Spirit. Fully knowing that we need help. Because again, at the very core of the Holy Spirit is to be our helper. And if we don't think we need help from our helper, then we're by nature rejecting the Holy Spirit in our life. And as we think about this, knowing that the Holy Spirit came to help us and to be with us, we must ask, if this is true, then what would hinder the Holy Spirit working in our life? And to that we would have to say, pride and self-sufficiency They're one of the many things that will hinder the Spirit's work in our life. Just believing that we don't need help and that we're okay living this life on our own. Like this hinders the Holy Spirit's work in our life because the Holy Spirit is a helper. And if we say we don't need help, then we're by nature rejecting the Spirit. Church, the absolute most power we have is on our knees praying and begging God as powerless humans, totally depending on the power of God as our helper. God's work in our life through the Holy Spirit shines the brightest when we realize we need help, when we're desperate for God to help us. Again, who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit is with us and is our helper. But let's keep going. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. So there are several things we see in this verse as well as a continuation of our first two subpoints. We we saw here again the spirit dwells with us and is with us. He lives with us. We already talked about that. He, again, Jesus is circling these ideas. But there are two more subpoints out of verse 17 that I want us to see about the spirit. And the first thing is 1c, the Holy Spirit reveals truth. The Holy Spirit reveals truth. So Jesus calls the spirit another name in verse 17. He calls it the Spirit of Truth, meaning the Holy Spirit illuminates and makes clear to us, that which is true. And this is done first and foremost in the Word of God, in the Bible, we'll see this more later in our text. But the Word of God and the Spirit of God are two sides of the same coin, they can't be separated. When we separate the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we get in trouble. So if we try to read and understand the Bible, God's primary source of truth to us, without the Spirit's help, it's nothing more than a literary lesson. It's like a language arts class or a history class, studying another literary work or like a history class, and it's just powerless. You know, one of the evidences of the Spirit's work in our life is that we actually believe the Bible to be true. Like I'm not saying we don't have doubts. I'm just saying when we sit down and read the Bible and we see it as God speaking true words to us, that is the spirit's working, that is the spirit working in our life. When someone hears the gospel and responds in faith, believing it to be true, that is the spirit working. The Spirit illuminates and reveals to us that which is true. We can't visibly see the Spirit, but we see the Spirit's effects. And one of the effects of the Spirit is seeing and understanding truth. Like, if you understand this, this like confusing text today and see it as true, that's the Spirit's work in your life. Like, every time I teach and preach the Bible and you understand it as true and are helped by it, that's the Spirit's work. That's not me. That is the Spirit. In my best efforts, y'all, I'm nothing but a bumbling fool. The Spirit is what illuminates truth, not me. The Spirit helping us and revealing truth to us is evidence that God is with us and in us. Again, when you are personally helped and encouraged by the Word of God, when it's read and taught and preached, that is the Spirit of God in your life. He is with you and helping you as your helper to understand truth. Y'all, there's so much here, but again, we've seen today, the Spirit is our helper, the Spirit is with us, the Spirit reveals truth. And then also from verse 17, "The Holy Spirit is only in those who believe in Jesus." This is a hard one. Verse 17 said, "The word, the world, cannot receive the Spirit, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him." You know the Bible often makes the distinction between followers of Jesus and the world, and those that do not know and believe in Jesus are considered the world. And they cannot know the Spirit, Jesus says. They can't have the Spirit's help, and they can't see truth. Like There's a spiritual blindness to those in the world, as we've seen throughout the book of John. But those who do know Jesus, we see that the Spirit dwells inside of us and is with us. Like The Spirit of God has uh, His home inside of our hearts. Christian, again, do not lose sight of this. Let this be comfort for you today. If you believe in Jesus, the Spirit is in you. Like, hear this loud and clear today. The Spirit does not come and go from your life, depending on your obedience. No, the Spirit is in you and does not leave you. Church, that is a promise directly from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus has already told us and promised us that he will be with us forever. That's what the Word of God says. The Spirit does not come and go from our life. Jesus has said this in multiple different ways, and he also says it again in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Church, again, that is a promise. God will not leave us as orphans. God will never leave us or forsake us. Now, I I want to make this clear for us today. Because, no, you might not always see it or notice it. And yes, we can often suppress or dilute or quench the Spirit's work in our life in various ways, and we'll get to that. But whether the Spirit is a massive burning flame or a dwindled, suppressed spark, don't miss this. If you believe in Jesus, the Spirit of God is inside of you. God is in you and with you, and He has not left you or forsaken you. Struggling Christian, take heart in that today. Because Jesus told us this to comfort us, no matter where you are in your life. If you have professed faith in Jesus and you feel like you're in a desert longing and thirsting for the Spirit, it may seem like the Spirit is nothing but a small, insignificant flame in your life right now. But again, take heart, Christian, because the Spirit of God is in you. He has not left you, and He wants to help you, and He wants to show you that which is true And God wants to take that small spark or flame and throw massive logs and trees of His grace onto the small flame and see that small spark turn into a massive bonfire and wildfire of the Spirit overflowing to those around you. And one of my many prayers for our church is that we would be a burning, blazing hot bonfire of God's Spirit that is so hot and so full of burning hot flames that nobody that anybody that comes close to it can't help but catch on fire by the Spirit of God. New City, I'm praying that the Spirit of God would burn so hot within each of our hearts that the Tampa Bay area can't help but change and be affected by the heat of the Spirit, and that we'd see scores and scores of lives changed and transformed by the incredible grace of Jesus. Because if we profess faith in Jesus, the Spirit is with us and has not left us. But the hard reality is that for those who do not believe in Jesus, we can't miss this. The Spirit is not in them. Jesus says it can't happen. That's what he said in verse 17. Like their eternal helper is not present. Church, the mission of God is urgent. So we see this idea continuing to build out. Look what Jesus says in verse 19 to 20. In a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Again, Jesus is circling these same ideas and continuing to build on them. But I want to slow down here for a second to really uh, think about what we just read before we get onto our last subpoint of the Spirit. Because in what we just read, we see our relationship with the whole Trinity continuing to play out. We see in verse 20, Jesus says, He is in the Father. Where and we are in Jesus and His Spirit is in us. Just let that sit for a second. Because this is astounding. Because we right now, as I speak and as you listen, are in Jesus, like He is in us. And for all those who profess faith in Christ, we have a mutual indwelling bond with God. So just, just try to imagine this type of relationship with me. Like we're in Christ and Christ is in us and Jesus is in God the Father. And so what this means is that because of the gospel, through believing in Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, when God looks at his son Jesus, he sees us. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. Church, this is really good news for us. Because we are grafted into the relationship and benefits of the entire Trinity. The best way that I can think to illustrate this is that when you think of me by association, if you know my family... You also think of my wife and kids, like we're all one unit. We're all the Hovis family, and we get mutual shared uh, benefits, same meal, same house. Our kids get the same parents, the same resources. It's all a mutual benefit, and I think this is somewhat of how we are with Christ. We're in his family. When we believe in Jesus, we're grafted into the family of the Trinity. We get the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're given their identity and access to their resources and their care and their love and their joy and so much more. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. No, he sees a sinless Christ. He sees a sinless savior, Jesus. And he looks at us and says, you're my beloved children. Church, that's grace for us. Christian, let that comfort you today. You're grafted into the family of the Trinity. The spirit is in you. You get the wisdom of God and the love of Jesus. Church, these words are meant for our comfort. But the last point I wanna point out about the Spirit is what the Spirit does. And what the Spirit does is the second half of verse 19, Jesus hints, in his future, uh, f- hints to his future resurrection saying, because I live, you also will live. So just think about this. All these things Jesus is saying to them at this point are all in the future for his disciples. I just kind of imagine their heads just kind of spinning with confusion, thinking about all this because Jesus has prepared them that he's gonna die and now he's saying he's gonna live and because he lives, they also will live. We also will live. And we today can understand all of this because we now know the whole story. We know that Jesus—he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death, and he and he now lives. Like I know it's not Easter, but we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate it all year long. Like uh, Jesus lives. Jesus is alive. And because Jesus lives, verse 19 tells us, we also will live, showing us that uh, the last point here, the Holy Spirit gives life. Jesus is no longer manifested in a physical body on earth, but he's now manifested in us through his spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is now inside of us, giving us uh, both eternal life and abundant life on this earth. Jesus said in John 10.10 that he came so that we may have abundant life. And he's reminding us and the disciples That the abundant life that he spoke of comes through Jesus, and it is empowered by the Spirit. No, we're not promised an easy life, but an abundant life, and a full life. The most exciting life we can live is a life following Jesus. And one of the biggest lies from our enemy to us is the thought that being a Christian is boring. That it's not fun, that it takes all the thrills out of life. And We have to say to that, no. When we're following the Spirit, there may not always be immediate pleasure and comfort, but but there will be full life. We will experience the fullness of life, highs and lows and all that comes with it. And we have to agree, when we seek after immediate pleasures, it almost always leaves our souls more empty after the immediate thrill is over, leaving us just longing for the next thrill and, and, and unsatisfied until we get it. I mean, everybody addicted to drugs and sex gets this. Everybody in AA gets this. Everybody addicted to gambling and money and any addiction. There is a thrill that only satisfies for a short moment and it eventually wears off. And those who are walking by the Spirit understand that the abundant life is found in Jesus. Is it always easy? No. Are there wilderness seasons in our life where we ask God, Where are you? Yes. And does God grow us during those seasons? Yes. We just saw this past Wednesday, here, in the book of James, that trials in our life produce steadfastness in us. They grow our roots of faith deeper and stronger. Church, the most full life we can live is a life walking by the Spirit. Well, we've seen so much on the Spirit this morning. Five points. I would encourage you to go back and, and read and just sit in this passage. We, there's so much else that it says about the Spirit. There's so much here. But now this is where things seem to shift topics. So we've looked at peanut butter. Now it's jelly time, okay? (laughs) Looking at a different idea. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, "Uh, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So I want us to remember uh, that Jesus started this whole teaching in verse 15 by saying, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he talks about the Holy Spirit for five verses, and now he's circling back around to that idea of love and obedience, which moves us to our second, uh, much shorter idea, number two, love and obedience. Now, yes, I get that this is two ideas into one point, but Jesus, he puts them together, and so we're going to keep them together. But in both verse 15 and in verse 21, Jesus has made it clear that those who love Jesus obey Jesus, like they're not separated, So any idea that we can follow Christ and not seek to obey him doesn't make sense. Like, that's not what the Bible teaches. We could say this, the gospel that saves us is also the gospel that changes us. There's there's no such thing as a Christian that is saved but yet unchanged by the Spirit. We could say this, salvation without transformation might not be true salvation. The person that chooses Jesus for the purpose of not going to hell, but yet is totally unchanged by the Spirit, again, they might not be a Christian. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect Christians and obeying perfectly. No, not at all. But if God begins a work in us and saves us, he will also grow us and change us. Again, we're not looking for perfect obedience, but a growing obedience. Now, we have to be careful with this because it can lead us to be really judgmental, which is not from the Lord. Maybe thinking if we don't see maturity or visible transformation, uh, they must not be, or we must not be Christians, and that's just not right and dangerous because, uh, that's because we're not God. This is only for God to decide. We don't always see and know what God is doing in the heart of a person. And You know what else we need to be careful of? It's not to be so hard on ourselves and others. Questioning faith because we don't see immediate change. Again, the Christian faith is all about our faith in Jesus and not how well we obey. Like being a great fuller, a rule follower is not Christianity. No, faith in Jesus alone is true Christianity and that's it. Amen. But all this said, what I find interesting in all of this is that Jesus says all of this in the context of the Holy Spirit. like. These are great verses that are great read in isolation. They're great to memorize, and they're great to quote. We see this whole idea of like love and obedience and how they go hand in hand. We see it taught throughout the entire Bible, and it's all good and right. But we need to ask, why did Jesus bring this up in the middle of his comforting teaching and the coming of the Holy Spirit? And I think our next few verses begin to kind of tie them together. This is when we put our peanut butter and jelly together, make the sandwich. Look at verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, what a great name. Not the Judas that betrayed. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So let, let's remember, so Jesus just said right before this in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And then he says, and I will manifest myself to him. Meaning, Jesus will reveal himself and show himself to those who love Jesus and to say the exact same thing in a different way we could say God shows his spirit to those who love Jesus but remember what was asked the question was how will Jesus show himself to us and not to the world like how will Jesus hide himself to the world and show himself to the to his people and then look how Jesus answers the question of how he will show himself to his people Verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Now hopefully this is where it all makes sense. Uh, This is where we see the full peanut butter and jelly sandwich, uh, where our two points collide. So Jesus is showing us that he will reveal his spirit that he will show his spirit, that he will show himself as a helper and counselor and truth revealer, that he will be with those and comfort those and blaze the hot fire of the spirit to those who love Jesus. And he shows us that those who love Jesus also keep his words. They obey his words. Obedience to Jesus' words is how we see this, uh, like how we see this all come together. So Jesus correlates Obedience to the Word of God and seeing and knowing and experiencing the Spirit of God is one and the same. Which means the Word of God and the Spirit of God can't be separated. They work together. Like a person that says they want more of the Spirit and say they are being led by the Spirit and are longing to be in the Holy Spirit's presence, but yet are not in the Word of God and reading it and studying it and praying it and meditating on it, that person is not following the Spirit of God that person is following emotional hunches that can and will deceive them. Like a person cannot follow the Spirit of God apart from the Word of God. If we want to grow in our obedience to the Spirit's leading in our life, we start by getting in the Word and obeying the Word of God. And if the flame of the Spirit is inside of us, do you know how we make that flame bigger? We grow in our love for Jesus by feeding it the fuel of God's Word. If we want more of the Spirit in our life, we come to God in His Word and in prayer. Like we pray the word, we meditate on the word, we memorize the word, and not just for information, but for transformation. We don't come to the word to just study it and know it as an academic exercise. No, God gave us the word so that we could know God and grow in our love for God and have a relationship with God and obey him. New City, when we come to the word, we're coming to a person. We're coming to God. We're coming to grow our affections for God and to experience more of God. Well, I've known my wife for about 17 years. And I've learned a lot over the 17 years of how to love her and how to not love her. So if I want to bless my wife with a meal, you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to put a bunch of seafood in front of her like sushi and oysters and clams and scallops and salmon and crab legs. That's how you make me happy. Like, I've tried for 17 years to get her to like this stuff. And it's been the same for 17 years. She still starts to gag just thinking about it. Like, I have learned what she loves and does not love through studying her. But it's all for the purpose of our relationship. Like, I grow in love for my wife by learning to love the things that she loves. And the word of God is for our relationship with God so we can love God more and see and experience more of him and learn how to obey him. Getting into the word and knowing it is not so we can just be a bunch of Bible nerds. No, the word is to grow deeper in a relationship with Jesus. The more we know God, the more we're able to love God. And the more we love God, the more God reveals himself to us. And not because we've earned it, but because we know what to look for, and we see it, and we long for it. New City, again, all believers, we all have the flame of the Spirit. But the way that flame grows is by growing our love for Jesus. And the way our love for Jesus grows is through knowing and obeying the Word, through engaging the Word. And why I think this is so important to touch on this for a second is because what often happens, myself included, is that we often want the benefits of the Spirit without the person of the Spirit. Meaning we often long for the fruits of the Spirit, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. We learn that at Kids Week. And all its benefits. But we often want the benefits more than the perf- person of the Spirit himself. We want the fruits of the Spirit to grow in our life, but without putting in the relational work to grow in our relationship with Jesus. And what Jesus is showing us here in our text is that they go hand in hand. As our relationship for Jesus grows, as our relationship grows, the more the Spirit of God manifests himself in our life. It's that whole garbage in, garbage out idea. Like what we put into our life, we get out of our life. If we put garbage into our life, we can't expect the fruits of the Spirit to just come out of us. But when we put more of Jesus in our life, the more Jesus comes out of us, the more of the Spirit we see. But again, I want to make this really clear. Notice what he didn't say. Jesus did not say, obey me, and then based on your level of obedience, I'll give you more of the Spirit, and I'll love you more. No, not at all. That's not Christianity. Jesus said, love me, and because you love me, you will obey me. It's an overflow thing, like love comes first. Because the truth of the gospel is that there is nothing we can do to make God love us any more or to love us any less. The cross was his ultimate display of love to us. God loves us fully and totally because of Jesus' finished work at the cross and nothing else. Again, Jesus does not say, do more for me and then I'll love you more. No, what we see in our text today is that our love for Jesus grows. As our love for Jesus grows, we begin to see God work more we begin to see and use the benefits that we already have access to. You know, as I've thought about this idea, this picture just kinda came to my mind. Just imagine with me that God, through the gospel, has given us a key to a mansion, to like his house. And he says, explore it, it's all yours. And the more we explore it, the more we see it uh, that there is to explore. And the more we see of His house, the more in all of God we are because we learn so much more about Him. And the more in all we are, and the more we know of Him. And the more we want to explore, the more intrigued we become. They all just kind of feed into each other. And church, the benefits and the resources of the Spirit of God are, are eternal. Like they're already with us. Like we have the key to every room in Christ. Like, we may, like, let's not be satisfied with just staying in the foyer. May we explore and grow in our awe of God and see all that he has given to us. Let's take the key that Jesus has given us in the gospel and grow our love and affections of Jesus to see more of his glory. Like, this is a lifetime journey. Church, my heart and desire today is that we would be so comforted in knowing that God is with us and helping us And that the flame of the Spirit is dwelling inside of us, that it would propel us into wanting so much more of God. To know Him more so we can love Him more and so that we can see Him more. Church, may we long for just more of God. But as we enter our time today, I want to read verse 25 to 27. This is what Jesus says. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, Jesus shared this with his disciples to bring them comfort. And Jesus tells us and promises us that he has given us the helper of the Spirit and that this helper will teach us and show us what is true. And here Jesus promises us that in the Spirit we have peace. He tells us that our hearts can be at rest and that we cannot be troubled and not fear. He says in verse 27, because his Spirit is with us. Church, the God that created the world is with us. He's in he's inside of us. He's watching over us. He's helping us. He's teaching us. And that same God, he tells us today through his word, he simply reminds us today to just come to him and to love him. To abide in him. As we'll see and discuss next week. In John 15, new city, the spirit is present with us. And what a joy and what a privilege. Like what a promise. That God our helper is with us. Our God our helper he will never Leave us or forsake us. God, let's, let's pray. God, you're good to us. Your spirit, God, we, we just pray for more of it, that we would see see more of it. You've given us all that you can give. But Father, may we just just explore it and see it and long, just to, just to long for more of you, God. Would we grow in our love for you? And as we grow in our love for you, God, would we just... Just see more of your presence. God, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.